This is episode 82 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Welcome to episode 82 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Today I have Ryan Carr on the episode. And if you don't know Ryan, you should because the guy is a legend in the infill development side of things here in Ontario. He's also a very savvy constructor, uh, a very savvy real estate investor. Uh, he just does it all and he does it at a pretty young age, very accomplished. And he has a really, really impressive outfit around him that he's built up. He started as an auto mechanic uh, and he eventually lost lost his job. And then with the support of his wife, he actually moved into real estate investing full time. And he's been there ever since he spent a good portion of the last decade doing what he's doing. He's absolutely filled with knowledge. And this was just an absolutely awesome discussion. So we discussed everything from the, the nuts and bolts to, to finding a lot that you might be able to develop. And for those of you who aren't familiar with development, that's when you take a property that's say a single family unit, and maybe you look at severing it into two lots so that you can build two houses houses or maybe two triplexes. Uh, Ryan and I talk about a sixplex that he's working on developing right now. He's got his offer accepted on the lot. So that among many other things, including how to scale and grow your business, how to find employees and hire them uh, and enable yourself to uh, to uncap your growth potential, which is something that I've been very open about on this podcast. That's obviously been a struggle for me. I do have a certain team uh, that works for me on the construction side, but of course I am looking for help on the, uh, the personal and administrative side so that I can free up more of my time and focus on income producing endeavors. So really cool episode. I really enjoyed it and I know you're going to enjoy it too. Quick reminder to please make sure that you're subscribed if you're watching on YouTube. Uh, Maybe share this with somebody that you think it could help. And uh, if you haven't already done so, if you wouldn't mind leaving me a five-star review on Apple Podcasts to let people know what you think, it will really help this podcast grow and I'd really appreciate it. And also, if you haven't already grabbed yourself a copy and you want to use the cash flow sheet that I use to analyze deals, you can simply visit my website, www andrew-hines.com and you will see the link to download that there so without further ado please enjoy this really cool interview with ryan carr number 82 here we go hello and welcome to the andrew hines real estate investing podcast i have ryan carr on the show after almost a year of trying to get him here it's going to be a good one ryan you're very established in the uh construction and investing side of the business. So why don't you just share a little bit of the story about you, what you do and, and how you got started and we'll go from there. Yeah, sure. Uh, thanks for having me on. I'm super pumped to be here and I'm glad that we could finally connect. I was, I was actually going through my email um, and it's been a year of back and forth and <laughs> up and down and, and we had actually met at Sean Allen's group, I think out in London yep, a year or so right. back. And yeah, it's, uh, it's cool to be here. So thanks. A um, little bit about my story. So for the listeners, uh, Ryan Carr, 33 years old, started investing uh, part-time in 2012 and full-time in 2014. Uh, Previously was an auto mechanic, got into real estate uh, sort of by fluke. I had a mass layoff for the company that I was working for. And uh, yeah, got into real estate by fluke, did the principal residence thing, did the first rental property thing, got spooked by some tenants, sold it, and then realized a little bit later on, you know what, that maybe wasn't so bad. So Jump back in and now uh, 40 some odd properties later, here we are. 40 some odd. So yeah. do you, how many doors do you own right now? Uh, they, they come and go. So I think I've got th- mid 30s as far as tenants go, 30, 35 tenants, something like that. And then at any one time, we have between six and 10 or sometimes up to 12 job sites uh, on the go in various phases of either pre-development, 
construction or uh, post-development either being turned over for resale or rental ready. Yeah. Is that, so what's your, your typical uh, business operation? Like are you, I mean, obviously the rentals are, are a piece of your business, but then are you actively working as a developer mostly, a constructor mostly, a general contractor mostly? Um, where, where is your energy focused? Yeah, so my energy is focused on on finding the deals. So top of the funnel in in sales terms, I guess, would be finding the properties so that everybody else underneath that uh, can do what they do best, which um, used to be in my case was construction. Uh, I no longer do the construction. I have full-time staff for that. So for me, I really enjoy finding the deals, finding the properties. You know, what can we do with these properties? I really enjoy that part of it. Um, and then from there, I can either pass it off to my team in-house for, uh, for construction or I can pass it off to property management, which we also do in-house, um, or I can pass it off to some of the other subcontractors that we use for uh, various phases of infill development. So you have, a, you have a few different employees that are working for you directly? I do. I do. Yeah. We've slowly built out the team over the last number of years. Um, like I was saying before, I started full-time in 2014 and I was doing it all myself. And that was good because you get to keep the money yourself and you get to learn and you get to, you know, you, you get to know the ins and outs, but at some point you got to realize like you can scale your thoughts, but you can't scale your physical labor. So mm-hmm. you got to, you got to get some help from that standpoint. And, um, you know, what you lose in margin, you make up in volume is I guess the best way to put yeah. it. I desperately need, <laughs> I desperately need an assistant. I have, I have people to help me on the construction side, but I need somebody that just like never leaves my side yeah. <laughs> just to just put everything on. Do it. Um, do it. Like, dude, what's, what's the worst that can happen? You hire somebody for six months and you're like, you know what? I'm just going to eat the cost for six months and try it. And yeah. if it doesn't work, then, you know, maybe you part ways, but at least you, you gave yeah. it a go, right? Yeah. I guess, you know, if, my my main concern is um is, is a lot of it's up here and and I have created systems but um I guess I, I just worry that I'll I'll be wasting money because I won't I won't give them you know because like for me like passwords like to banking and all that financial control I don't think I would ever give that up but I could give up a lot of other things so yeah. really it would just be a matter of me kind of pulling the trigger and and actually taking the steps you know changing the passwords that that I I'm willing to give mm-hmm. and then of course you know keeping the other ones and, and, and just moving forward. I, I really, you know, right before the whole lockdown happened, I was, I was on the verge. I was starting to look at some resumes, you know, put up some feelers and then I'm like, yep, okay, yep. no, shutting it down. <laughs> Not happening. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like what was your experience like, like when you got the first one? Cause of course I've got my site supervisor on the construction site that I'm building right now. And I have another full-time uh, carpenter, kind of a junior uh, uh, type of uh, carpenter. Um, and then I have my subs, but on the personal side, do you have somebody that's with you, admin, like working with you on a day-to-day basis? I do. I do. So I have one, uh, one back-end admin. Her name's Lev. She's been so awesome the last year and a half. I've had somebody working um, on the back-end looking after a lot of the, I wouldn't call it book work. Book work wouldn't be the right term. Um, but a lot of the day-to-day, like a lot of stuff that is very important that would soak up your time, but doesn't allow me to get out there and do what I do best, which is finding deals, right? So she's looking after all of the, we'll just call it back-end um, in terms of property management and logistics and, and scheduling and sometimes staffing um, yeah. and things like this. Um, so she, she filtering through your emails as well? Uh, not so much emails. I look after my own emails and I do my own banking. Um, but like, just for example, here, here's a prime example, opening mail. I get so much mail. It's insane, right? So whether that comes in the form of email digital receipts or in the form of like physical opening of the letters, like just that job alone over the course of a month might take two hours. So Mm -hmm. when you take, you know, when you take all of these little tasks 
that are seemingly trivial for, for a lot of people, like, yeah, dude, just open your own mail. Well, when you start to multiply that out, that's a full-time position for somebody for an entire year. Right? <laughs> and that's what I've grown into. Um, so for me, the way that I looked at it when I was hiring um, the person prior to her and now her was like, okay, if we put a dollar figure, a lot of people think in terms of dollars. So if we put a dollar figure to somebody's annual wage and I say, okay, this year, you know, it's, it's 2020 now for anybody who likes to timestamp their, their podcast, boom, it's 2020. Um, in 2021, in six months, I'm going to hire somebody full-time. I'm going to put a, put a full-time wage of X amount of dollars, whatever you think that person is worth to you and your business, right? Put a, and just say, I'm going to take a flyer on this. And if it works, I'm going to keep that person. And if it doesn't work, then I've lost my six months worth of, of wages or my 12 months worth of wages. But if you don't try it, you'll never really know. And mm-hmm. I think for me, I was in the same boat as a lot of people. You know, Should I hire this person? Should I not? So I took the plunge and I said that those exact same words to myself. I'm going to try it. And if I lose the six months worth of wages, hey, that's what it'll be. But I'm never going to go anywhere until I can let go of some of these tasks. Yeah, letting go is a big thing. And I, I've done a lot with processes. And I think processes are a big part. And, and when you hire somebody, you need to be able to hand those processes off to them. <laughs> but they'll only take you so far if you have to work within them. Like I just noticed as I'm like, on this current project I'm on right now, I am driving a lot of uh, product and inventory and just, you know, items through my business that I'm billing back to the client. And, and normally my bookkeeping is no problem because it's minimal, but when I'm, you know, we're in, you know, finishing stage and I'm just buying a lot of random stuff for the project and just that, how much time that takes up to keep it organized, make sure it gets billed back to the client, um, that kind of thing. Normally not a huge deal, but right now I would love somebody doing that for me. For sure. But, uh, of course, I'll always want to check in on this stuff. Like I'm very, very particular about my numbers and my books. They got to be done the way I want, but yeah. somebody could do the heavy lifting and then I could just check in. Is yeah, that kind of how you treat your stuff? Like does Lynn do your bookkeeping as well? Yeah, very much so. So for, so for her, she's di- dealing directly with um, my bookkeeper. So okay. for the, for the accounting side of things, she's dealing directly with that person. So like I'll put through 5,000 receipts in an annual basis. So to handle 5,000 receipts, like, that's a lot of receipts. You know, if you break that down per day, what's that? 10, 20 receipts a day. Um, and do you have access to your QuickBooks or you do not? Like you just send the receipts and say, build back to this client. I'll write on the receipts if I have them physically and I'll say, okay, this is where this needs to go. You guys look after the rest. Um, but I try to, um, there's certain things that I try to be less involved with in terms of the actual tactic or technique um, and more involved with the strategy. So one thing that I've, that I've noticed as I've continued to scale is that once you have staff and you have tenants and you have lots of properties and things on the go, um, you can no longer rule by how you would do things. You have to rule by strategy because that's how you're going to help other people get really good at that task that they're doing for you. Right. So that's how I've changed and and how I've grown organically. Break that down for me. What do you mean? Strategy versus how I would do it. Yeah. Strategy. So for example, if you say to your staff, um, this is how I used to do this task. They might understand that, but if you give them a book and you give each one of your staff a book that says, hey, this is what I learned from, now you're no longer explaining to them the way that you did it. You're explaining to them how they can learn it for themselves. And a book is infinitely scalable so they can learn that technique. So you're talking about teaching the fundamental, the logic behind the process. Yeah. So more so than giving them your process, you're teaching them the logic behind the process. 
Exactly. Exactly. And, so, and I want I want them to know my process in a at least from a high level because at the end of the day, if they step out, I still need to be able to step in and say, okay, I can take over yeah. here at least in the interim. But I want them to be able to think on their feet. So if you teach somebody, you know that whole teach a man to fish thing. Oh yeah, I was going to give you that exact line yeah, back. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. So I want I want to teach them because then they can learn, and when they learn, they feel included, and when they feel included, they want to do a great job for you, and and I appreciate that too. Yeah, I one hundred percent am on board with the yeah, teach a man to fish and fed for life versus give a man a fish you have you know fed for yeah. the day um yeah. i i really really do believe that i mean i think that applies across like everything politics our lifestyle you know we need we need to teach people to fish for sure yeah. and garden yeah. plan all that stuff and build things yeah. um yeah so so i'm on board with you there now when you're seeking to like this is about growth right so this episode like, we're gonna end up talking lots of things growth uh, i just think this is particularly interesting at the moment um, when, when we're, when we're actually thinking about adding these people, how do you pick a good fit for somebody that's going to help take your business to the next level? So we've got lots of people who listen to this, who are doing duplex conversions. They're probably getting to this point where like, okay, I've got a lot of office work now. I've got a lot of back end. Um, how do you find a personality that fits, uh, with what, what you're trying to accomplish? Yeah. So I think you know that personality is number one and, and goals are number two. So if you're like, I, I know for me, I'm a really laid back guy. I'm not an A type. I'm not a, you know, like I don't motivate by fear. I'm like, Hey, come on and join the family. If you want to be part of what we got going on. Awesome. And if you don't, that's not for you. That's totally okay too. And I, I very much operate like that. I treat my staff with a lot of respect and I'm, I like to give before I receive and, and I operate that way. Right. And um, for me, I think the attitude and the charisma and the things that you bring outside of what you can actually like actually physically do for the business is, is more important. Um, yeah. You can teach people the techniques as we talked about, but you can, you know, it's, it's pretty hard to manipulate or maneuver somebody's attitude if they don't want to yeah. do, you know, and be part of the family. Well, you know, the thing that I, I'm, I'm fortunate that I've got uh, two pretty, pretty good employees. I've, I've had other ones. I've had as many as four full time um, in varying levels. Like, you know, eventually people, sometimes the attitude goes and, and they need to go. Um, uh, other people like, you know, it's, it's like, well, like what you, you said, um, very much uh, mutual respect. You know, we treat each other with respect. They, they know I, I respect their intelligence and their ability to do their job. And I, I more troubleshoot with people. I'm, I'm like that as well. Like, I'd rather say, okay, well, how do you think we should do this? You know, what's the best way to accomplish this? Yeah. And then, uh, but then sometimes I'll be very firm. I'll be like, look, we can't have this happening because you know how this looks to the client, right? You know, oh, yeah, I see what you're saying. Um, so I, I try and, and do that. And I think that overall that works. Of course, you're going to get some people who just don't want to play ball, right? Like kind of like what you just said, hey, if you're not in, involved with this, see you later kind of thing. Yeah. Um, how do you find though that, like, do you not find that some people want to know, like, for instance, working for you would be an incredible learning experience for a lot of people, like a real estate investor to come work for you would sure. be very, very uh, advantageous for them. And I thought about that, you know, should I get somebody who's really interested in real estate? Because they'll, they'll really bite into these concepts. But then the other, the catch 22 there is, they just want to go do it for themselves. So eventually they'll be like, okay, I'm too busy now, Andrew. I got to go do this for myself now. Yep. So good for a while and then it ends. Like, what's your thought on that? Do you, do you try and pick somebody who has a keen interest in the business you're in or somebody who, who more just seems to thrive in that position of admin? They like getting into the books. They like being you know, A-type uh, and controlling the show. Yeah. So my office manager now was actually column A and column B. So she was into both. She, she was good at the back end, but she also had a tremendous interest in real estate. And I, I said to, no, I didn't say to her specifically, but I, I always think this, 
if a winner is out there in the market, a winner is going to win whether you help them or not. Right. right? They are going to win whether you, so you might as well be that person to say, hey, here's a hand up. Let me help you get there. Mm-hmm. And I've had a lot of people over the years help me. Um, obviously, I'm, I'm very good at helping myself and asking the right questions and, and all of these things. But at some point, you know, somebody's got to say, hey, Ryan, you know, come on up. Let me, let, me, let me pull you higher, right? And that's what I try to do to my staff. So if there's somebody that has a keen interest in real estate or construction or accounting or whatever, and I can help them and they want to be part of the team, I am so on board for that. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely uh, great. I mean, I, I guess... So my follow-up to that is, have you had a lot of people leave you and, and was it still, when you look back at it, was it still worth it? Even though you're, you're training them again, um, you're having to train their replacement. Um, would you have changed anything about that or, or you just see it as worthwhile? I'll tell you, I haven't had a lot of people leave me. Uh, my, my retention's pretty good, truthfully, because of the systems that we built. But I can see how that may happen. I mean, people say... I want to come and be a, I want to come and be a wholesaler for you or come and be a bird dog for you. I'll work full time. Right. And like, okay. And then they come on board, you show them your systems. And then they say, well, I think I'm, I'm better off to go somewhere else rather than working for you. I'll do it on my own. And I'm like, mm-hmm. Hey, you know what? That, that's okay too. And people have come and gone, but as a general rule, my retention's pretty good. And you know what, truthfully, if you, if you trained a wholesaler and then that wholesaler worked for you for a number of years and then left to go and do it on their own, they're probably going to call you because they know that you're legit and you know, maybe they, don't have a, yeah, maybe they don't have a buyer's list built out yet and, and yeah. they'll call you first and say, Hey, you know, Andrew, I got a deal. I love that attitude. Cause like, I mean, as the people who listen to this podcast or, and watch know, like I just give everything away. <laughs> like yeah. I'm not charging for it so far. I have not once monetized this podcast. Yeah. Um, and maybe, maybe one day I will. I'm not, I'm not ruling that out, but, uh, you know, it, it's funny. I've, I've, I've made money because of the podcast, but not from it. And, uh, yeah. yeah, so I'm, I'm grateful uh, for the opportunity just to connect with the people and, and kind of spread the love a little bit, share the wealth of knowledge in that way, you know, cause all these guests come on and, and you know what, things come back, come back around. So I really like that attitude and I can definitely resonate with that. But I get, this is me coming from on the personal side, just haven't hired out, uh, uh, certainly on the construction side. Cause I was never any good at that. Yeah. I couldn't have, framed by myself i needed to watch youtube videos ultimately <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> watch youtube videos framed a basement um you know hung some drywall but i was always depending on people who are smarter than me with that stuff with mm-hmm. admin and with processes in the office like i i studied business went to business school so i it's, it's a blessing and a curse because i know exactly how i want things done mm-hmm. so now it's about figuring a way to fit that with somebody else who might be an a-type that, that wants to take control too, right? Yeah, they yeah. kind of need to be an A-type to run the show inside of an office, don't they? Sometimes, sometimes. I think it comes down to your staff too. I mean, if your staff is led and motivated by that type of a person and they mm-hmm. need a go-getter at the helm, then like, yeah, put the A-type in that position. Sometimes people don't resonate with that. Um, but yeah, I, I think you kind of have to build that organically. You know so just I mean? see what fits with, with that role in my organization. And Very that's- much so, very much so. I love how this turned into a coaching session. <laughs> yeah. You know what? We just keep this, we just keep this stuff fresh. Like it's, it's fun to not go on these podcasts and be scripted and, you know, yeah. just kind of let the conversation meander and wherever it ends up. It's great. Also never happened. Never done a scripted episode. I actually had one guest come on and he's like, I have all these things I want to talk about. I'm like, why did you do that? Please don't yeah. do that. <laughs> but he insisted and still like, we still had a conversation, but he had to get those points in, sure. um, which is, uh, that's okay. Yeah. Um, so, so from one of the things I was impressed with, uh, from you when I heard you speak, uh, well, one, you're a great speaker. It seems like you had 
you know, a formal education and you, you had presentation experience, which I'm sure it kind of happened organically. No, no just whatever. No, no formal yeah. presentation experience. Just give her. Just give her. Okay. Just get so, out there and be genuine. Yeah. Came from, came from working in um, auto tech yep. and now you're, you're doing this. Uh, you understand a ton about development, which I think I mentioned to you at the time, I'm like, I rarely speak with another investor who's dug as deep into real estate development as I have. Um, I need to start hanging around people, people, uh, people like you more. Um, because that's like, that's the big ticket item. I, I feel like when you get into development, that's the one that where you'll, you'll probably um, take a lot more swing and misses. But when mm-hmm. you connect and when you make contact, the, the payoff is a lot better. Um, yeah. Do you mind telling me about some of your development experience, what you've gotten yourself into and what those have looked like from a profitability standpoint? Yeah, sure. So the most recent couple builds that I've done um, were some semi-detached homes and then some duplexes. So you may have heard in the past people talking about my vertical split technique, which is where I take a duplex and cut it up and down. So almost like two townhouses as opposed to uh, basement and main floor. And so you'll take a single family and, and turn it into like a semi-detached or, or, or sorry, a, a front back duplex. Yeah, or, effectively. Exactly. Exactly. So I've done that in terms of rentals, but I, I just finished doing, uh, doing one in new construction as well. So, um, so two units semi- in total or four, two units in total in this case, um, okay. I did some semi-detached homes, which was a separate project, um, two single family detached. Mm-hmm. And now I'm doing some duplexes. And then we've got some uh, low-rise multifamily coming up as well. So I'm, I'm proposing a 30-unit condo. Uh, I'm proposing a sixplex. Uh, I just picked up some land the other two weeks ago. Two weeks ago. Um, I'd like to do a pair of triplexes there, maybe a six or eightplex, depending on how the okay. zoning plays out. But yeah, we're busy. Okay. So let's, let's talk a little bit about those more. So a lot of people on the podcast will be familiar with, yeah, taking a single unit, turning it into two. Uh, obviously the bylaws are very friendly for that. Uh, yeah. That's development light at this point uh, because most municipalities are just like, it's a permit. All you yeah. have to get. Um, however, when you want to take something, a piece of land that's zoned single family, and you're talking about building a sixplex, presumably, yep. um, is that a single family land or is it zoned something else? Um, this one has multi-zoning. Multi-zoning. So, so are you within your zoning right to, to turn that into a sixplex? I am. In this case, I am. I mean, I've gone through the rezoning appeal process before um, to mm-hmm. rezone something from one zone to another so we could build something different. But in the terms of, uh, of this particular piece of property, let's just say we're building a sixplex. Um, okay. The property itself is um, already zoned for that. So in, it's in Oshawa. So in this case, in Oshawa, R5 zoning is effectively okay. multifamily zoning. So okay. when you work out the... Uh, the frontage and the depth and the parking and the density and things like this. That's how you can come up with the final number of unit count for what you want. So they, they'll give you a number of units per hectare that you're allowed to build. Exactly. So that's typically between 65 and 85 for an R5. And then when you get into some of the more denser areas in town, like the downtown core, you can see 150 to 300 units per hectare, which would be your high rise. Yeah. So for anyone listening, that's trying to figure out how to do that look up your local municipalities zoning, start playing with like London, for instance, has a zoning map. You can go around, you can click on the different properties. You can see something, uh, you know, zoned R9, for instance, and that, that might actually have a hundred units per hectare you can do. Uh, so if you have one hectare, you can build a hundred units. Um, the more dense an area is, the more units per hectare they're going to allow. Um, now when you want to go redo a zoning, uh, Brian, 
does it does it need to be appropriate? I, I'm asking the question here with with an answer in mind, but tell you know tell us a little bit about kind of figuring out if something's even worth taking on. Like, does you know should should anyone just Joe or Sally listening to this podcast try and mm-hmm. and do something like that? Rezoning is pretty intense. I mean, it's it's yeah. capital intensive. It's mm-hmm. slow. It's like every government yeah. appeal process you can imagine. Uh, one thing that I do, and to play on your last comment, was go to go to Google and type in like whatever your city name is and interactive zoning map. So yep. in my case, it would be Oshawa interactive zone map. And, and, you know, it works for Peterborough or Belleville or Sarnia, yeah. London, whatever. And I mean, your, your interactive zoning map will pop up and give you so much information with respect to the zoning, but yeah, to, yep. to rezone a property, like it's, it's a lot of work and it's a lot of risk too. Cause you get every neighbor coming out with the, uh, you know, with, with their own opinions yeah. and they have a right to their voice. Right. They have a right. You're going to affect the, you know, the, the not in my backyard mentality comes out. That's so, right. uh, this is where you need to schmooze your neighbors uh, if you're going to do it. But uh, I mean, in London, they really stress appropriate development. Yes. Um, and I've run up against a wall for that. Yeah. Uh, I know other municipalities are a little bit more flexible on what is appropriate, but, uh, in London, they specific, specifically told me if you're in the middle of a street and you've got a bunch of R2 zones all around and say you're R2, um, and you come in and you ask, well, I want R4. So R2 only allows two units. R4 could allow uh, many units, mm-hmm. uh, but let's say for four units. For four units, you need R3. Um, so okay. say you wanted to go to R3. They would tell me, well, no, that's a spot rezone, yes. and it doesn't conform to the rest of the neighborhood. No, we won't do that. But what we would consider is if you rezone the entire neighborhood. Mm-hmm. But then the entire neighborhood has to be okay with going to an R3, which yeah. means they're inviting all other developers to come into that neighborhood and start knocking their houses down and building triplexes and fourplexes. Yep. A lot of neighbors would be like, what? No, you're not doing that in my neighborhood. That's right. So there you go. You're inviting the neighbors in to to give their comment. And a lot of them are just going to be like, no, because people don't like change, right? They're not benefiting from it. I don't know. I guess you could kind of grease them a little bit and say, well, if you... You vote grease, this grease way. every neighbor in the subdivision. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Might get expensive if you have a budget for that. It but, would. It but would. here's the problem with that is if, if all your eggs are in that basket, you buy that. And your plan A is if I get if I get this rezone and I get this development and I can do this then and if everything goes right and all I get every every possible if turns out the way I want it to, I make a few hundred thousand dollars. That's a losing proposition. Because I would think in that type of a scenario, what I just described, you're you're more likely to 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 fail than succeed. Far yeah. more likely. The downside's higher than the upside, for sure. Yeah. And then, yeah, if you don't have a plan B, this is where my whole plan A, B, and C uh, thing, I always talk about having a plan A, B, and C uh, because I've been burned. I was trying to do a duplex from a single family and got burned with a a heritage control bylaw and uh, and an interim control bylaw. They stopped me with an interim control bylaw Mm -hmm. and then they passed the heritage control bylaw to just completely nix my project. Uh, And I ended up having to hang on to that property in a a lost position after spending like 20,000 in soft costs to develop, paying too much for the land, paid too much for the house, all the things you don't want to do. And I was, this was 2012, 2013. Like yeah. I was, that was pretty green and yeah. uh, I didn't think my contingencies through. So um, yeah. what's the best way, Ryan, if people want to start learning more about development and, and, and just for, for our listeners, development is when you're taking something and you're changing its use. It's single family. You want to go to multiple units, mm-hmm. three units. Maybe you want to take residential, go to commercial. Um, that's development. What's yep. the what's the best way for people to kind of learn more about this and 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 start maybe making inroads towards being able to do it one day? Yeah, um, finding somebody that's already doing it is a huge way to go. 
Um, that's what I did. I, I don't come from a real estate background. My family isn't involved with real estate. Um, I, I'm a mechanic. So I, everything that I've learned, I've, I've learned by way of just being a sponge and soaking it up. So I would say, do your research online, do what you can do, um, find somebody else that's doing it and get as much information as you can from them. Um, infill development is like one of those things where a lot of people don't talk about it. It's like this, like, hush, hush thing. It's easy to find information on basement apartments. But I mean, in terms of that, it's, it's, it's harder to find. So find somebody that's doing it. I'm also writing a book called Highest and Best Use. And you could read some of the information in that book as well. Um, I, you know, I'd love to have people out. Maybe we can link it up in the show notes and you can check out that book too. Is it, is it available already? It's coming out in spring market 2021. So people All can right. sign up at thehighestandbestuse.com. Highest, yeah, we'll, we'll put that in, uh, in the show notes. Highest and best use? the highest and best use.com pick one of those development projects that you yep. have a fairly good gauge on the numbers and let's let's walk through what you saw why you bought it what you expect to profit okay um just so i know for your listeners are they mostly on like the duplex conversion side so we can resonate with the two unit or do you want me to go bigger low-res multifamily they've heard a lot about duplexes so I, yeah. i'd love okay. to give them something different because okay. we have a lot of people who have done those duplex conversions got it okay so then we'll, we'll go low-rise multifamily. um i think there's a lot of opportunity here so for for a project like that you're going to be looking for a few things you're going to be looking for frontage you're going to be looking for depth and you're going to be looking for density and in the case of that those three things are effectively what will give you the way that the site performs and also how many people will live there um, Let's clarify that a little bit. So you, you're okay. implying that you're, you're looking for a, a lot piece of land that's already zoned. Yeah. In this case, I would to, to simplify the process. Um, if you yeah. want to talk about rezoning, we can do that too. But yeah. Let's not go there yet. Okay. <laughs> we'll get into that if needed. Um, yeah, we'll, okay. we'll go as deep as you want. <laughs> so for frontage, for frontage, anyone, anyone wondering what that means, frontage is the, is the number of, of feet of width you have fronting on the street. So how, how wide is your lot? against the street. Um, that's what the, uh, the zoning department is going to be looking at in combination with the depth of your lot. So uh, a lot, you know, where I live right now is about 150 feet deep by 50 feet wide, um, and density. Uh, so then you would be looking at your zoning. What are you R one R two R three? Every municipality has different designations for their zonings and different definitions for what that zoning allows. So you have to look at it at your individual. Um, but we'll, we'll speak in terms of yours, Brian, uh, yep. where you're working in Oshawa. Um, okay. So you're, what are you looking for? If, if, you know, is this something you're looking for right now? You obviously did just pick up something to be a sixplex. So, um, yeah, you found a piece of land. Tell me about how you found it and, and how that went. I did. So this was an off-market deal, um, kind of a quasi off-market deal, actually. I, I was doing a renovation about 10 doors down a few years ago. And every time I move into a neighborhood, I'm always checking out where some other opportunity may be. And in this case, there was a fairly good-sized parcel of land with a fixer-upper home, looked to be like 1900 to 1930-type construction, um, like the stone foundation type of vintage, right? So okay. I threw a flyer in the mailbox and I said, hi, I'm Ryan, you know, I'm renovating up the road. If you guys are looking to sell, I buy without commissions, like the whole, the whole story. Mm -hmm. And they got back to me and they said, well, we're not really interested right now, but maybe in the future, I'll let you know. So a couple of years go by and like, and you never know when these people are going to reach out, right? When you drop a flyer, drop a note, a couple of years goes by and they call me and they said, Hey, now's the time we're interested in selling. We're actually using a realtor. So if you want to, you know, come and check this property out. You can go through that. And I said, okay, well, let's, let's explore this. So I ended up calling the realtor or the realtor called me and they said, this is what we're looking for. And this is the size of the lot. And we're looking for a really clean deal. And my seller doesn't want people coming through the house. She just wants something simple. 
great. The numbers worked. I was happy. The seller was happy. So we picked this up and uh, I actually renegotiated a rent back from the seller because they didn't even necessarily want to move yet. So I said, well, look, how about I buy the place? You can cash out, rent it back for six months to a year. And when you're ready to find something else, then you can leave. And in the meantime, I'll get my permits, right? So you don't have any carrying costs. When they leave, you take the house down and boom, put up your development project. That's brilliant. So that's a way of working a deal out that, uh, that, you know, kills two birds with one stone. It was a benefit to them, huge benefit to you because the biggest thing, one of the biggest things with development is if you're sitting there burning money, you know, on your mortgage payment and you're paying high interest, um, it just makes it that much harder to pick up a deal or want to pick up a deal because of all the, the, the burn before you know if you're even going to be able to develop it. Yeah. If you knew. So um, what was the frontage of that place? This one was 66 by 140. 66 of frontage, I think 140 of depth, something like that. Okay. And, and what was the zoning? The zoning would be low rise apartment. Oh, so it already had that. Did they know they did. that they had that kind of zoning? They did. They did. So their one neighbor to the one side already had a low rise, like a six plex or an eight plex, something like that. And then the neighbor to the other side also did some redevelopment as well. So they knew, they kind of knew that they were going to be in the area and in the market of a developer type of person looking to buy this property. And in this case, that, that guy happened to be me. Lucky guy. Yeah. Well, not, not lucky, right? You're intentional and, uh, you know, you're, you're taking the steps to be successful. I shouldn't say the word lucky. There is a little bit of luck, but luck is where opportunity. Is. Uh, and, uh, what's the other thing? <laughs> opportunity meets preparation. There you go. Um, yeah. okay. So, so your zoning was for low rise. Did that zoning allow you to build without any minor variance needed? Meaning are you in full conformance with that zoning with your proposal? I, I could be if I dropped the density and reduce the parking a little bit um, or increase the parking a bit. I think we're going to push because I th- I, the answer is I want to push for a minor variance because when you push for a minor variance and you're already in zoning compliance for like for the overarching zoning, but you got a couple mm-hmm. tweaks that you do, you can really drive the value. Um, I'm a big believer in good deals are found, great deals are created. You may have heard me talk about that before. And in this case, a minor variance, which is like, a thousand bucks in the city of Oshawa and a little bit of thought and creativity on the way in is going to yield some better results. So for me, would I be in compliance with what I want? Technically, no. Could I be in compliance with something of a lesser building? Technically, mm-hmm. yes. As a plan B, does the being in compliance work if your minor variance gets shot down? Yeah. So as a plan B, I absolutely would be in compliance. Okay. So you saw an opportunity here where you have a tenant you said, if it takes me, I mean, it shouldn't take you uh, six months to get a minor variance. What, like three? couple, yeah. Handful. Yeah, okay. So you gave yourself a six month with them. Uh, you could pretty much have all your permits in line, ready to go, ready to break ground as soon as they move out. Yeah. That's, that's the yeah. way to do it. Which is quick, <laughs> and not, dude. And you're not burning money. Yeah, right? for anybody listening, like six months to get a permit when you're already in basic zoning compliance and a quick variance, like that's quick. It That's is. Quick. So is that, is that what you expect or you're, you're thinking it'll take longer here? I would, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping for six to eight months. Um, okay. but I just went through a brand new duplex build in a town just East of Oshawa. And it took me two and a half years to get my permits. So why uh, well, just not in conformance? You, you were non-conforming. No, I was totally conforming. I got stuck in an interim control bylaw as well. Uh, so they halt the developments and then there was some problems. Then I had to wait for a 
you know, a bunch of different studies to be done. And it was a bit of a mess, but not, not the sidetrack from the, uh, the low rise apartment. But, building. No, but that's, that's important information to be aware of because everybody thinks it's all sunshine and rainbows. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe they don't, maybe they're too scared, but yeah. these are the things that, that actually have stopped me because I, I tried development very early and, mm-hmm. and then I kind of took on the mentality. I want to, I want to go after deals where I needed the least people to say yes. Like what was the path of least resistance? If I was going to have to get a yes from all my neighbors, everybody within 200 meters or whatever it is, Mm -hmm. um, less inclined. However, if, if it's something like a minor variance, basically when the committee meets, they're really just looking to satisfy the question, is this minor in nature? Yeah. If it's minor in nature relative to the zoning. So anyone who's not familiar with minor variance means, um, is this specific uh, thing you're requesting? So say the zoning requires six spots and you can only have five based on the land you have, you would need a minor variance to have one less spot. Mm-hmm. So odds are, Ryan, in your experience, if you needed to just have one less spot, is that something likely to get approved? In this case, yeah, it would be. Yeah. Okay. So what, what is the actual minor variance for you that you need? For, for me, I'm going to be slightly over density. Okay. I'm going to be considerably under frontage, right? What's the, what's the frontage requirement? Um, well, in my case, the zoning bylaw in Oshawa hasn't been updated for like 20, 30 years. Okay. So as per the current zoning, it would require like 25 meters of frontage, which is like 80 something feet. 80, 80 feet, yeah. Yeah, um, I'm 60 feet. So you're 66. See, yeah, in that case, they would they would have to say, is it minor in nature? What are the other criteria for a minor variance? There's the, the big one is, is it minor in nature? Yeah, I forget. There's three. Yeah, is I forget the other one. Does it, does it meet the intent of the original bylaw and something else? Something else. Okay. Yeah. So in this case, are they going to argue that the, the bylaw is inappropriate? Because if they did, then they would it would be their, their prerogative to change it. So in this case, they're going to come in into that meeting and say, you're asking for 80, this is 66. Is, does that still fit the definition of minor? Yeah. So the answer in my case would be most likely, and I mean, I can't speak on behalf of the committee, but in my case, most likely they're looking to intensify the city and they know that the zoning bylaw is outdated. And when people like myself come in for these requests, they go, oh, another one. We totally get it. We totally know where you're coming from. Let's uh, see how we can work to streamline this process Mm -hmm. because we need infill development and they want to see that intensification. Um, They want to see new construction taking place in the city. So they've got, they've got a, I think they call it a pecuniary interest in having people come into the town so that their tax bills benefit and their shopping benefits and people use the same transit systems and stuff like this. Um, you know, they want to see it. So they're a little bit more flexible in a minor variance as opposed to a rezoning application. Very cool to know. And, and for anyone listening, the only way you're going to know that is if you go speak with your city officials. Like, yeah. I mean, right now it's a little hard with the lockdown, but uh, get on the phone with them. Um, you know, every municipality is going to be different. In, in London, I've found them to be a little bit difficult. Uh, but uh, of course, there are going to be other places where they're growing, they know they're growing, they know that they don't have nearly uh, the density of housing that they need. So they're, they're a little bit more fast and loose and they'll allow things to fly through. Now, in this case, you could still have neighbors come out and say, well, that's not minor and we don't want this. What happens in that yep. circumstance? So if you go to the LPAT, which is effectively the the governing body for people who do or do not want a minor variance or a rezoning application to go through or some type of land planning tool. Um, You can go to the LPAT and it used to be called the OMB and the LPAT effectively governs what people can or can't do. They're the final stamp on whether or not a variance or a rezoning application will get approved. Now, if the neighbors come out 
and you like you're, you're both standing there right at the at the the lectern and you're, you're kind of going back and forth on whether or not you should be right or they should be right if they're right right and they take this to the lpat and you lose at the lpat then you can't move forward but if you win at the lpat which is court right you can put a lien on their house how do you mean how do you mean well it's it's effectively court so just like provincial court if you win court battle they have to pay you it's a plaintiff well, they have to defense. pay your legal fees they have to pay a bunch if they of stuff. take if they take you to the lpat so if they're that staunch on on a, on stopping you from developing yes they, and they and they lose that. yeah that's right so that that that's a feather in the cap of the developers who are doing this legitimately with the intent of other people and new residents and and a proper development in mind i mean if yeah if you go to the lpat appeal and the neighbor says no 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 and you say yes 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 and you win mm-hmm. you can sue them and if they can't pay you you lean their house but so, in this in this particular instance if their argument was it's not minor therefore it shouldn't happen is the lpat really in a position to to argue with that i don't know it's it's court appeal process right so, so really strength of case is is a, is a big a big uh, part here right like they can you, appeal anything they can yeah, appeal, exactly they can appeal anything right they they, appeal whether they have a valid frontage. whether they have a valid argument or not six inches of frontage would be stupid but they yes. could and, they, and then if they took you there i mean at that point it'd be great to just go talk to them and say do you really want to do this because you know you're going to be paying my legal fees you're not that's effectively how it goes that's, yeah. that's how it goes and that's why dude like when i go and do these developments or even a minor variance for a basement apartment like when i go and do these developments i go to every neighbor and i say hey i'm ryan you know this is what we're doing over here if you have any questions please come to me first so I can address those. Like if, if everything about my development is great, but you don't like that I'm using a five foot fence instead of a six foot fence. And like the extra foot of fence will be better for you because you got a trampoline and kids in a pool. Dude, I'll just put the extra foot of fence on. Like, we don't need to go to court for that. Let's just have a conversation like, like normal people. And how can I help you? You know, uh, if, if, if you're going to have a long-term view and you want to make sure the neighbors are happy, I always take that stance. Always. You do that with your rental properties too. Like if your neighbor says, Hey, we want to do a new fence and you have no desire to do a new fence. Do you just do it? Cause they're your neighbor. Yes. Okay. Yes. Smart thinking. I do. I do. I, I think if you, if you put them on like if you have to quantify this with dollars, like if that's your, if that's your speed, um, an upset neighbor is very expensive compared to a cheap fence. Yeah. You know, true. like the guy's calling the bylaw on you all the time, or there's something with the tenants and the, you know, where are the tenants throwing their snow and like the phone call and the, the mental gear changing to get that guy back in line and on your side again is so not worth it than to put in the $2,000 fence. So just pay for the good. fence. Yeah. Just, yeah. Just split it like the neighborly thing to do. So I, I like to any simple thing. I always like to fences have just bugged me because I find them useless on my student rental properties. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like the two tenants don't want them. I don't want them. Like yeah. I literally just find them actually pretty much just an inconvenience because now they restrict my access. But like you said, <laughs> if it keeps the neighbor happy, maybe that neighbor will one day sell me their house. So, perhaps, perhaps, you know, there's yeah. the karma. I think, I think it goes okay. back to karma and, and also just making your life easier. Right. Like you said, it's not worth an unhappy neighbor because they could cause so many more problems, especially in your business. When you're, when you're, go ahead, you're doing, you're doing projects where your neighbors are constantly being uh, basically requested to give input. And uh, it's not a good thing if they don't like you. It's not, it's not. I've had neighbors offer to cut my grass and shovel the snow and, Oh, I saw that you guys are building here and you didn't do the sidewalk. So we salted for you. Like just stuff like that. It's like, Oh man, thank you so much. Really appreciate that. 
That's awesome, man. It's such a great perspective to hear you kind of, you talk about this stuff Um, because everyone has a different approach, right? And obviously you're getting a lot of deals done. Um, Like talk to me how, how this, this happened. Like you were, you were working as a mechanic actually before we get, get off track here, let's just go through these numbers a bit more. I I do want to go back to being a mechanic and getting into this, but um, so you're, you're you're considerably lower on your frontage. You're expecting that to work. You might go to LPAT. If it does go to LPAT, how long is that going to take you? I don't even know. It could be a couple of years, right? A couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. At that point, you would just keep renting it out. Do you have it financed privately right now? This one I'm going to finance through a commercial brokerage. Um, I'm doing a lot of deals with these guys lately. They've been very good for me. Um, So it won't be private funds, but it won't be rock bottom A lender rates either. So cost is definitely something to consider. So you're at a negative cash flow position right now, or did you close in cash on the place? Uh, I didn't. I could, but I won't. Um, I think because I've got the tenant in there, we negotiated, I think it was like 1700 bucks a month in rent. So, I mean, in terms of a conventional carrying cost, by the time you pay your taxes and somebody to manage it and stuff like this, would it be negative? Yeah. By the time you factor in the principal recapture on it though, you might be roughly buoyant, give or take a few hundred bucks. But I mean, it's better than losing two or three grand a month. Just being that's a, that's a small investment, right? Like there's, there's a certain amount of money you're going to be willing to risk for the big win, right? Being able yeah. to create the six plaques. Yeah. Um, okay. So you haven't closed on this one yet. Is, no, is it saying. closes in three months. Okay. So you just, you just tied this deal up then more or less, or has it been a little while ago? That's right. So it was fairly recent, a couple of weeks okay. ago. Okay. Um, I tied it up with an extended closing, knowing that these people didn't necessarily want to move. And yeah. they didn't really know where they're going to go. But one thing I did, the reason I extended the closing, A, I didn't need the property, but B, I found out, and I assumed, well, I assumed first, but I eventually found out that their mortgage payment was less than what my rent would have been. So I said to the agent brokering this deal, okay, let's get a little creative here. Why don't I close in 90 days? Because I don't need it. Mm-hmm. They continue to pay their mortgage. So they're breaking down their principal plus their overall payment is less. And then in 90 days, then we can cash out and then we can move forward with the deal. What do you think about that? And they said, Hey, that's great. Why would they pay you rent when you don't need it? And they don't want to pay the increase in fee, keep the cash in their pocket. So again, it's just another way for everybody to win in that situation. Yeah. And I'm super on board with that. That's a, that's a great idea. Why not push it out a year then? We could, they want it to be liquid. They want to be liquid. Okay. Yeah. Cause uh, I mean, with, with my building permit stuff, I, w- I would try the best I could to push it out far enough that I could get my drawings done up and I could get my permit in hand. So I would get, I would write it right into the offer that I had permission to go get a permit. And then I would yep. take that to the city and, and, and uh, submit it. And I would have permit ready. Sometimes before I even closed, they gave me an active permit, which yeah, is cool. Exactly. Um, so, so is, so basically it's just liquid. So if you could have, would you have done it in a year? If they said, Hey, we're cool with that. You would have done it that way and invested the money in, in the soft costs to go, go forward with the development. Yeah, I could have. Absolutely. Yeah. Would you ever worry that you're going to invest that money and, and get it to a point where it's ready to be developed and then they, uh, they don't carry, carry through with the sale and then you're left suing them for your, your damages? Mm-hmm. You ever worried about that or not really? Yeah. I mean, long closes contractually, I mean, you're obligated. So yeah. on a long close, I would, I would be doing like the, the quarterly check-in be like, Hey, you guys need anything for me? Um, I would be doing the quarterly check-in on a personal level and I'll also be doing it on the legal level from lawyer to lawyer because people don't talk to lawyers, only lawyers talk to lawyers, right? Mm -hmm. So I would be doing it on the personal level with the people in the house, because that's really where it's all driven. And then the lawyer side, they'll look after themselves, but definitely regular checkups. 
Yeah, just to make sure, hey, they haven't changed their mind or they're not thinking about doing something stupid. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, yeah. I mean, like at the end of the day, they can't. You pay your deposit, you've got the thing, yeah. you, like you got your contract, everything's everything's tied up. But yeah, it's getting into a legal battle. Nobody really wins, right? It's like trying Never. to get a tenant. Yeah. Nobody wins. It's horrible. I, I remember, yeah, in, in business school, I did take a law class, business law class, and and he's just like the best way to to win a, a lawsuit is to not have it. <laughs> Mm-hmm. don't have it like just talk to people just be reasonable with people there's yes. always a way to to come up with a reasonable solution which is i've tried to take that into everything i do i remember what he said and i always dealing with anybody even a bad employee i never burn bridges with subcontractors i just mm-hmm. say hey let's let's be reasonable there's there's nothing for either of us to gain here by yep. by not being reasonable with each other i put that right in my leases with my tenants I said, i'm a big fan of the be reasonable policy and this is what this means right and if this doesn't sound reasonable it's probably not reasonable and if it does sound reasonable it's probably reasonable right and they go oh, yeah it makes a lot of sense i'm like yeah just enjoy this house and i'll be a good landlord you know call me if you need something done that's smart, man. Very smart. Or call call your admin if you if they need call, something. Yeah, don't don't call me. I won't pick up. No. <laughs> I do pick up. That's the thing. I want. That's where you get really admin. busy. That's where you get really busy. I do. I try to tell people email me with with maintenance requests. Sometimes they do still text me. No problem with that. I will yeah. if it's something more more uh, specific. I'll be like, just send me an email reminding me because otherwise I'll yeah. forget. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What you what you buy the place for? Which place? The one that you're going to turn into a sixplex. 370. Oh, I'd have to check the purchase. Three, call it 370. Okay. So you're figuring 370 purchase price and mm-hmm. um, we're going to have some carrying and soft costs. Um, probably what? $30,000 you're figuring if, if things go as planned. To build it? 30000 No, no, no. Just carrying costs and soft costs like mortgage, interest blueprints, all that stuff. Actually, if you want to just give me a total cost, everything, build it, develop it, all the, all the, the soft costs to develop all this, all the costs of building. You can do that too. What do you, what do you estimate? Yeah. yeah so I haven't done a full pro forma on this one. Truthfully. I know that the land cost is right. I know it's very, very right. Okay. Um, I know that's been good in terms of what I actually can build. I mean, I could go with a pair of triplexes. I could go with one sixplex, mm-hmm. or if I'm really lucky in terms of my variance hearings, I'll get either a pair of fourplexes or an aplex. Right. Okay. And the way that and I'll tell you why. The way that we're doing this in, in Oshawa and some surrounding cities right now is mutual driveways have made a comeback. And I'll say okay. it again. Mutual driveways have made a comeback. Somebody made a case very recently, like within the last 24 months, to build a pair of triplexes on what would effectively be a duplex building lot. And he said, why don't we do a mutual driveway down the middle with parking in the rear? Because let's face it, this isn't the 401 we're talking about six, six tenants, six cars. And then council went, yeah, I guess you're right. Why take up double the land for double the driveway when we can use one driveway for the same purpose? So we're registering an easement up the middle of the building, doing a left, doing a right, and then parking in the rear of the property. It functions amazing, right? But that would be severed lots, right? They would be two separate lots. Generally speaking, the same owner is going to own both halves, but you could parcel one out if you so chose. So in your process here, if that works out, you will be getting a, a, a subdivision of the lots. They will be subdivided. Yeah. If I want to put two buildings on that lot, I'd cut it in half and do two mm-hmm. separate titles. Um, the, the, the challenge with that becomes you're going to have two tax bills. Yeah. So one sixplex might be, I don't know, I'll just pick a number, $10,000 tax bill, right? But two triplexes who might be $6,000 each. Right. So you're going to eat a little bit out of your cash flow but I think you win yeah. on the equity side. 
Okay, so let's just dig into some hypothetical numbers if you were to do the sixplex, just one sixplex. So you'd be, um, I'm just trying to figure, carrying in soft costs, like you'd be borrowing potentially what, eventually you're going to borrow more money for your construction, but uh, most likely. So let's let's say carrying in costs, what, like $100,000 over the course of, what, a year and a half, two years to do the whole thing, or a year and a half probably, start to finish from when you close to when you're done? Yeah. Um, oof. put me on the spot here. This is tough. This is it tough. gets harder. Yeah. It gets harder. We, we haven't done a lot of development numbers. Like I, I'm very back of the envelope and I know you are too. You have a little too. napkin. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm a napkin numbers guy. So look, here's what let's, let's take this more general. Um, what I can tell people is that if you're going to build a million dollar building or a $10 million building or a hundred million dollar building, your expected net is 10%. That is on average 10 to 15% what somebody could expect if you bought the land right. And only if you bought the land right. That's what you can expect yeah. in ballpark. So 10% net, and you're saying in equity? Like, so, so market value of that sixplex is when it's done. What do you say the market value would be based on today? Sixplex? Um, okay, that's going to come down to a cap rate multiple on the rents. All right. Well, we can do that. Oh. I got that sheet open right here. So, okay, okay. let's, let's, let's work out our, our rent. So we're going to okay. have, I better get comfortable here. We're going deep. Okay. We're going to have what? 1500 a unit on average or 1700. You think? Okay. So let me see. If we say 1500 a unit times six, six units, it's 9,000. Yeah. Vacancy 2% or times, something. Nine times 12. Okay. I, I'm going to, I'm going to do a different. So 1500 a unit times six units times 12 months is 108,000 gross rent. Yep. I'm going to take, um, CMHC is like 30, 35% of, uh, off your gross in terms of expenses. So we're going to multiply that by 0.65. So you're going to have 108,000 times 0.65. You're going to have an NOI of about 70,000 bucks. Okay. So net, so yeah, real shortcut Ryan took is just estimating 30% of all expenses, including taxes, insurance, maintenance, management, utilities, lawn cutting, all 35. that stuff. Yeah. Uh, you're figuring 35%. So then what's left over is 65% of your rent. And if That's it's 60, right. so if it's 65% of your, your gross rent, then we're just going to come up with that. Well, yeah, 70,200. So right. then, um, let's I just want to jump in here. 35% would be cons- like, it's light. Truthfully, on a, on a resale building, you could be as high as 50% expense ratio. Yeah. On a brand new building, because some of your maintenance and repairs and your CapEx is already done, you could go a little bit tighter. Um, mm-hmm. I'm just using numbers that CMHC loosely puts out. Sure. Okay. So if we wanted to get it, like, what are you going to be a 5% cap rate or a 4% cap rate on that? Brand new building is probably going to be a four cap, but you can use five to be conservative. So what will we be? So if we're maybe about worth... About 0.05. It's a building. It's a value of 1.4 million. 1.4. Okay. Yeah. I'm just, yeah. So fi- yeah. 1.4 is five, 5.01% uh, cap rate. Anyone wants my spreadsheet to calculate all this stuff. It's just andrew-hines.com forward slash cash flow. Um, okay. So first mortgage, when you refinance, yeah. uh, just, just so we understand what the cash flow will look like, uh, you're going to probably get 75%. Uh, well, if you go CMHC, you get 85%. All right. So let's just say you went 85%. 20, uh, what, what amortization would you do? It's a brand new building. So you can get 40. 40. Yeah. Okay. Pretty and sweet. you're, you're probably going to get like a 2% interest rate based on today's rates. I just got a mortgage on a 14 plex that we just finished at 1.9%. <laughs> 
Okay, free money, see. people. Free money. One, 1. 1.9. So was that CMHC? That was CMHC. Yeah. So CMHC insurance, for I'm sure many people who are listening know this, but uh, mm-hmm. CMHC will insure multi-residential buildings. Uh, and it's a very expensive fee. It's like 5% or something like that. Um, they tack it on to your mortgage. So they actually, so if you're getting 85% loan to value, it's actually really 90%. Um, right. So so if we really wanted to, to work that out, it would it would actually be you'd have a mortgage payment on that of about $3,800 a month. You'd have about $2,000 cash flow, unless your maintenance and all that stuff ended up being higher. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So, so we ultimately did that exercise to figure out what the building would be worth, worth about 1.4 uh, million. So mm-hmm. now that we've gone through that exercise, so 1.4 million, um, if you were going to sell it, then we would subtract off what it was, uh, what it cost to, buy it, which would be the, uh, 370,000, your soft cost and build. What are you thinking? Like we'd be 200 square foot to build that thing. And you're probably a thousand square foot a, a unit. Oh, geez. Okay. So I, I'll tell everybody up front. I am not a fan of doing a per square foot cost calculation. <clears throat> I don't feel it's, and I get asked this probably five times a week. I don't, I don't feel it's a fair justification for the cost of actual construction because servicing and development charges and development credits and location and subsidies and things like this carrying costs. Um, it's just, there's yeah. so many moving parts. Oh, I agree. Okay. I was just asking for the actual construct, the raw construction part. Yeah. Sure. Development charges, all that crap on top. Yeah. Ultimately I'll edit a lot of this stuff out just so we're just talking about the points. Yeah. Um, because otherwise it's just gonna, it'll just be too much. I'll try and simplify it for the, uh, for the end product here. Okay. Um, just, just use, use 250 bucks a square foot for construction for construction. Oh, I'm talking all in. You're talking construction, DCs, carrying a builder's risk policy, like all that stuff. 250. All right. So, and then figure a thousand square foot a unit? Probably slightly less. All right. 900 times six. So, okay. So based on 900 square feet, a unit being a uh, 250 square foot, or sorry, 250 a square foot, all costs in, including carrying costs, that would actually be 1.350. Um, mm-hmm. So, based on our based on our conservative estimate of a value of of uh 1.4 million that wouldn't be profitable so in reality what i think what i think would actually happen here is this is not going to go for a five cap it's more real i know yeah you're more reasonably going to be closer to a four or even less i would think you're going to be four cap you're going to be higher rents you're going to be a bunch of things yeah so we basically there's a lot of reasons why our numbers don't don't show profitable here but you're saying your model was okay we're going to get 10 percent. so if you were uh if you were 1.4 million you'd be expecting hundred and forty thousand dollars in profit if you were to sell that property that's right and truthfully i'd expect a little more out of it. Okay. So, um, so this, so, so just really getting in, this is what I wanted to know. Yeah. Like yep. when you saw this, you knew it was a little bit of a battle. You looked at that property. You probably did a quick back of the envelope. Okay. This will probably be worth 1.5, 1.6 or 1.8. Even when it's done, I'm going to get maybe 180,000 to 250. Is that what was going through your mind? Or I don't want to put words in your mouth. Yeah. So I think up behind me, that one right there, that sign. What's What's the upside potential and what's the downside risk? Yeah. So all throughout my entire office is all these different quotes that I find motivational. And I read them every day, right? And when I was looking at that property, R5 zoning is effectively good for a number of different things, right? Apartment building being one of them. But my upside potential would be multifamily, 
my downside risk would be two duplex building lots or three townhouse lots, all mm-hmm. very, very streamlined and simplified to get. Yeah. And you've so, spoken with the city, uh, at least at a preliminary level, to know yeah. that they're reasonably on board. Were they, exactly. Did you have a conversation and they said, yeah, we, we like the sounds of that? Absolutely. So I'm in good, I'm in good communication with the city at all times because we have so much yeah. time to go. Huge um, so lesson I'm, for people, right? Oh, my God. If you can have somebody that you can call um, mm-hmm. or email or, or just, just be in good contact with, and they will give you some good high-level advice, like, hey, you should watch out because this is bordering conservation. Or, you know what, I think the sewer system is older there. They don't have capacity for your eight-unit building or your six-unit building. Mm-hmm. Or I've been told that the soil is a little bit funny in this part of town. You know, maybe there wasn't as much sand as there should have been or maybe there was some foamy you know some foamy soil that your building might sink so you're gonna have to double up on the foundation with rebar all of those things come at a cost Mm -hmm. and the more information that you can have on the way into a deal the better off you're going to be yeah when i was first doing that that first one that i had the interim control bile up on me on um i was in city hall four or five times a week I was just, I was there almost every business day talking to people. I have another question for you. Um, I I find nothing gets answers like going in and seeing a person face to face, like write your answers down, uh, you know, the questions down ahead of time, go in, you know, have have run through a couple of case studies. I I, I literally pulled up specific lots. I I had lot questions. I'm like, I looked at this lot, it looks big enough. How how do you think this would go? You know, do you think a minor variance would be approved here? Things like that. Um, you have to make sure you ask that question to the right person because the people in, in the building department have no clue. They're like, eh, maybe you can talk yeah. to them. <laughs> yeah. So like, you, uh, yeah, You're depends right. on the municipality though. Right. But yeah, you just keep asking those questions and eventually you get the answers you need. Now, yeah. and if that sounds like hard work, it is. <laughs> and uh, <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> that's the, that's the secret. Um, but uh, as you do it more, you start to learn shortcuts, right. And, and where you're at, Ryan, you're doing this all the time. So, um, you know, you, this is probably a lot easier for you than it was when you started out. It is now. Yeah. You start to get the right contacts and you start to learn the math. And one thing that I've really picked up on, and this is, this is super key for the listeners is that not all people actually make money at their deals. And that's something that I never knew mm-hmm. on the way in. I'm looking at all these people building houses and, you know, doing even apartment buildings. Like if, if I did my numbers and the end of the project was the way that we just went through on that, on that example, right? I'd be upset with myself because there's no money in that deal, right? Yeah. You're going to get the long-term lift and the upside and the residual, whatever. And that's great. But I mean, if you're going to go and build that building for zero equity lift, and you're going to be into that property for the full amount of the down payment after you're completely done, was it really worth your time and the risk and you know, that poster, or would you've just been better off to work on some financing terms and buy an existing building that's already done? Yeah. You know, so I'm always looking at that. Not everybody's yeah. project makes money. And this is exactly the my thought process as well. So I've looked at so many opportunities to build stuff and I was I was evaluating exactly what's on your photo, your picture there in the frame. Um always evaluating what the upside is. I like to do a, a high, medium, low. Well, you know, what's what's my worst case scenario here if you know in my plan A, okay, that one's not profitable. Do I have a good plan B? Or am I just straight up losing two hundred grand if this doesn't work the way I want it to? Yeah. And if the answer is I'm straight up losing, even though it's a low probability for me, where I'm at right now, I'm not willing to take that risk at losing 200 grand. Um, yeah. Whereas if I could find a way to find a deal where it works very well as a rental property, you know, I'd be happy to keep it or maybe wait 10 years and develop it, but I can take a crack at it now. And mm-hmm. for, you know, for 20 grand and I'm risking 20 grand, 
that's yeah. something I'm a lot more into. Hopefully I don't need to lose 20, maybe 10, but yeah. um, the more I could find deals where there's a, there's a mitigated risk. And, and so I have a crack at development, but if I don't succeed, I still got a good rental property or something along those lines. For sure. Do for you sure. look for that type of situation as well? Yeah, hundred percent. hundred percent. I mean, people that are out there buying, maybe they bought the wrong property at the wrong time in the market in the wrong, whatever. Um, and the market's just sort of inflated and it's inflated their problems away. So everybody looks like a, like a rockstar real estate investor. Everyone because, right now. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, like your problems get covered up because of the, you know, inflation is just taking away all the mistakes happening absolutely everywhere and the same thing goes all with stocks same with stocks people think you're yeah. you're a magician right because you bought the right stock well the market's just it's just going straight up so like whatever you buy you're a hero well it's harder harder in stocks so right like I, I always like to make that comparison like in stocks like warren buffett says don't try and play the market like don't try and beat the market just invest in an index or whatever yeah. uh Whereas in real estate, like you said, everybody looks like a genius. Oh, I bought that lot down the, the yeah. corner and I did this to it and it sold it for 200 grand more. Um, you know, Warren Buffett is considered one of the smartest investors on the planet and, and says, no, it's too hard for the average person to figure this out. And the average person who pr- tries to like day trade, they lose, right? Smashed. Yep. But, but in real estate, it's like everybody's making money and they looked like geniuses because the market. And I, that scared me. That scared the hell out of me. Cause I saw how many projects I did where my costs did overrun, but the value just was way more. I was being way too conservative on the value. And then the market went up too. And it just gave me a little bit of a dirty feeling. I'm like, okay, I'm good. (laughs) Yeah. But if, if the market hadn't gone up or if the market had stayed the same, I would have been very thin on this one or I might've even lost a little bit. Yeah. Warren Buffett's the king of buying $1 for 66 cents. And I think that's the mantra, at least for me, that's the mantra that I live out every single day in my real estate business is I need to go out there and buy $1 for 66 cents. I need to go find that house that's worth a hundred grand for 60 cents on the dollar, 70 cents yeah. on the dollar, 40 cents on the dollar. Because for anybody starting out or for anybody experienced, a, that's where the money's made, truthfully, yeah. right? And B, that's how you're covering your downside risk. So if you win, you're a champion, right? You, yeah. you, you worked your plan, you planned your work, that was it, right? Mm-hmm. And if you lost and you didn't come out according to plan, you're probably neutral. Damn, we could go on for hours here. <laughs> <laughs> um, go, like, when you, when you were starting here, so you were, what age were you when you started, you bought your first property? Ooh, make me do math. Uh, how, okay. Like so early twenties. I'm 33 now. So 2012, that's eight years ago. Okay. So what's that? Yeah. Early, early to mid twenties, <laughs> 33 minus eight. Yeah. You would have been 25. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, so you're working full time as a mechanic. That's right. And, and then just, you didn't have any interest in doing that anymore. Or you just saw a profit. You're like, okay, I'm not doing this anymore. No, man, I got laid off. You got laid off? Okay. I got laid off. You could have gotten so, another job, but... I could have. So what happened was uh, I was working for this company. I was building handmade luxury armored vehicles. Okay. And these armored cars uh, were, were based in Markham. I grew up in Markham. And yeah. uh, these, these armored cars were super, super cool. Like like three-inch thick glass, Xboxes, cappuccino machines, full leather interiors, sound systems, like really sweet rides. And we were building these things for like oil money and basketball players and some pretty high profile people. And then what happened was the company itself, the idea was good, but their, their marketing and their strategy was all wrong. And the way that we were actually delivering these vehicles was, was poor. So they ended up laying a bunch of people off 
um, not by way of the way that they were manufactured, but just by way of the business model. And they laid a bunch of people off. I was one of those people. I think there's about 20 or 25 people in the bunch. And uh, we got laid off. I was laid off for a little bit. I was on EI. And I'm like, oh, geez. I called my wife when I got laid off. I'm like, God, I just got let go. And she's like, that's amazing. Congratulations. I'm like, what do you mean, congratulations? She was like, well, you're so good at the real estate thing because I had done a couple of deals by this point, um, just evenings and weekends. She's like, you're so good at the real estate thing. Maybe you can go and do that. So I'm like, hmm, okay, let me explore this. So that's how I got back into you know, understanding the business and the way that real estate worked. And then it just kind of progressed from there from nine to five, cold turkey to saying, okay, Charlie, you're on your own. Uh, it's, it's go time. You better get out there and make something of yourself. So that's, that's exactly how it went. When did you get married? Like how, how young were you when you got married? Uh, about the same age, 25. So you got married at 25. Okay. And yeah. what's your, your wife was doing something that was sort of sustainable to give you a little bit of comfort or cushion there in terms of, I don't need to earn money right away. Or was it just do or die? Yeah, so you she just had, went out there. She had a, <laughs> call me, call me. I mean, she had a, a nine to five job as well, but I mean, at the end of the day, it takes for a lot of people, it takes dual income to survive or thrive. And for us, we were no different. We were newlyweds. We just bought our first and then I guess second house. Um, so we didn't have a, a ton of cash or a ton of runway to really make a bunch of mistakes. So for me, YouTube was just coming out in its infancy in terms of real estate support. So all of the real estate knowledge that I had gained up until that point was like a bit from my realtor. It was a bit from YouTube. It was a bit from just being the hands-on type of guy that I was and saying, okay, let's get ready. Let's get in this and let's, let's learn. Yeah. Who were your mentors? So you had YouTube and whether it was Matt McKeever wasn't doing it back then. <laughs> no, I, truthfully, I didn't have any. I didn't no, have any. So no mentors, but you did no coaching mentors. later on. I think we, we both did coaching under uh, Stefan Arneo's outfit. I think you did yeah, the, the platinum. I did. I took some, some stuff in, but I mean, I was, I was very well established before I, by that point. Yeah. Him. That was just like a next step. Yeah. Yeah. I just did it, man. I just, I just jumped in. I, I watched YouTube and I'm like, yeah, okay. That makes a lot of sense. I'll go mm-hmm. and do my own basement apartment. And then I did uh, it was like a, a fire retrofit. So for the duplex guys out there, um, it was, it was a fire retrofit. So that was my first one. The apartment existed. I touched it up a little bit. Fire department came in, inspected it, got it legal. And then I sold it, made some money, sold a principal residence, made some money. Now I had some seed capital, right? And then I went back out again and said, okay, CIBC was my main, my main uh, lender at that point. And they were still qualifying me for mortgages um, based on the prior year's T1 general. Okay. So I, I was like, I was unemployed. Um, yeah, I was unemployed. I'm going back here. I was unemployed still getting mortgages and being able to work on this full time. That's incredible. Right? So it was amazing. It was just a really yeah. good way for me to, to get out there and hustle and, and make it happen. Wow. Which would I, never happen today, by the way. Well, you know, that, I feel like that so slipped, that slipped through the cracks. I, I've, I've heard of that kind of thing happening. Every once in a while, things slip through the cracks. So that worked out. That worked out really well for you. Were you doing all the renovations yourself by hand? At first I was. Yeah. yeah so you're framing your own walls, hanging your own drywall. Yes. Taping? Yeah. Uh, yeah. The whole bit. Well, okay. I kind of want to learn how to tape. Never, never tried that. I felt like I would screw it up. So I just didn't <laughs> do it. Do it. Go work with a pro taper for a week if, or, yeah. or a day or, or whatever, whatever interests you to watch these guys move. They, they just float through the room like butterflies. They're yeah, so they, good. There's no mess. <laughs> it's like art. I, I don't know how they do it. It's amazing. Yeah. It's incredible. I, I actually yeah. would, uh, I would like to, Yeah, it's just one of those things I've always been curious about. Just would like to just try it. I, you know, I, I framed a basement because I wanted to say I'd done it. Thought that'd be fun. And eventually, yeah. when I build my own house, I want to build my own house. Yeah, I actually do want to work on it a bunch myself. I want to be involved. One thing that's I think been a huge um, compliment to my success has been because I came from 
not that not the construction is the bottom because it's not but because i started from the bottom rung and worked my way up to where i am now to where we can come on and i can talk or like i can speak with education for a podcast i did the drywall i did the framing i get it i did the house buying i understand the mortgages and all of the all of the successes that i've had have led me to where i am today and because i have had that i can actually talk to my staff and articulate exactly what i want to see and why i want to see it because i've been there i couldn't like, agree more like knowing there. knowing the parts like i used yeah. to sleep in my job sites yeah <laughs> i did I, I mostly yelled at people on the phone but i did do a little bit of all the jobs and i was yeah. so keenly aware of every part of the process yeah even though i didn't know how to tape i've watched sure. them um you know i i knew roughly what went into it yeah, I had a pretty good idea. And I think like what I know because I did that, people who haven't done it just can't relate. They just yeah. they can't relate to it. Yeah. How what things cost and 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 what how what time goes into something. Just knowing those things. How long mm -hmm. should something take when you're budgeting time for things? When you've done it and you've watched others do it, you kind of have an idea. You have a yeah. feeling. Sure. Um and now what you're doing is it's incredible. Like the the progression I I don't think I've seen that kind of progression of like a, a level of sophistication and understanding zoning development, construction, flipping properties. Um, would you say flipping properties is, is your kind of your bread and butter? You're selling most of what you buy? No, no, I would say I'm a, 50, 50, I'm a 50, 50, I'm a 50, 50 guy. Sell okay. half, keep half. Um, if I see there's yeah. longer upside potential in what I'm holding, then mm -hmm. I will oftentimes slightly, slightly over renovate mm -hmm. the property on the way in, knowing that I want to have a 30 year runway. Mm -hmm. to keep it. And if I sell it somehow, okay. But at least I know that that property is awesome. And the next guy getting it is going to yeah. get an awesome property too. Right. So that, right. that's number one. A lot of people have this misconception where they'll buy a property and they'll under renovate it and do nothing. And then they'll spend all of their time fixing the problems and it costs them twice as much in the next five years yeah. than it does when they just could have done it on the way in. Like water, basement right. waterproofing, prime example, waterproof yeah. every house, just be done with it. Yeah, I'm of that mentality now. If I'm going to finish the basement, yeah. I, I've broken the rule a couple of times when I had a really good reason to. Um, yeah. But generally speaking, if I'm at all concerned, just waterproof it. Just do it. You don't want that that headache. You just don't want it. It's the uh, worst phone call, man. It's because so, it's so expensive too. Oh, and you're going to go and put a hundred Gs into a basement or something, and then like now you got six inches in. of water down there. Like, oh, yeah. just, just problem is even the waterproofed ones, some pump can fail. Um, yeah. water can come in through a window still. I've had it all happen. Sure. Uh, you know, you could think you're, you're good and you're not. Um, yeah. so yeah. <laughs> it, such is the life I think of, of this business, uh, real quick. Cause I know we're going on here, but it's just pure gold. Um, your wholesaling activities, like how are you, you're, you're, you know, so keen on 66 cents for a dollar, you know, um, how are you doing that? Yeah. So for me, it's, it's, it's purely a marketing play. So, um, for every, We'll just say yellow letters. For every yellow letter that you send out, I would like to see a 1% response rate. And of that 1% might be a deal. So because we've still got our calculators up, if you send out 10,000 flyers times 1%, that's 100 people might call you back. And on that, you might find a deal. So send out 10,000 flyers and out of your 10,000, you'll probably get one. You know, So 100 and calls, you think, on, on 10,000? I think so. I'm that's using a one. Well, I'm using a one in one. Right. Maybe it's a half percent. Maybe it's a percent yeah. and a half. And are you, have you set up a branding, a separate branding from your company for your letters? Like, do you have a, like oshawahousebuyers.com or something like that? Yeah. So for me, um, I'm using rwcarinvestment.com. Mm -hmm. And then what I do with that, some, sometimes I put it on my letters and sometimes I don't. 
Mm-hmm. Right? Sometimes I'll use a local area code. Sometimes I'll use a Toronto area code. Marketing is like drilling for dollar. Sorry, drilling for oil. Right. And when you hit a vein, double down on that. But until you hit that vein, you're always searching. Just right? switching things to, up. Yeah. Trying to find that yield. How often are you sending out, say, 10,000? Are you doing that every month, every week, every, every couple of weeks? Every couple of months. Every couple of months, you send out 10,000 and just keep that going? Yeah. Okay. And on average, actually, I've got a poster on the other side of the wall. On average, I'm about 30.35 to 33 cents per flyer plus HST. So if you're going to send out 10,000 flyers times 30.35 cents, 10,000 times 0.3035, that's three grand in flyers. So you're three grand grand in flyers um, to get a deal pretty much. Yeah, three to five grand. And right. I mean, your average flip, I'm, I'm assuming that you would would you be looking to make a hundred grand to do a deal? Is that kind of your threshold or what's your threshold before you'll, you'll say do that deal? Yeah. I wouldn't do a deal for any less than 30 or 35 K. And that doesn't include, so everybody knows that doesn't include like the back end of the operation, like, like my general liability insurance, my admin, my stuff like this, this is like top line numbers. Yeah. So, I mean, if you're going to go out and do four flips a year at 40 grand, right Mm -hmm. here, four, eight, 12, 160 top line, and then you back out your admin and your insurance and your da 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 Yeah. Right. So I wouldn't do a deal for any less than 30, 35 K no matter what. And that's in a worse, that's in a worst case scenario. I think, I think I remember you talking about that. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Otherwise you're better just be a contractor. Yeah. Right? Why go out if, if, if contracting or, or construction is the, the reason that that flip is making money, why go out and put the capital and the time into finding yeah. that deal and doing the work and hanging the drywall and doing all this stuff to make 10 grand when you can go and do that risk free and do it for somebody else. Great point. That actually is why I do contracting as well. There you go. Right? <laughs> yeah. I'm doing that right now. Um, yeah. Building 15 townhouses for a developer. So um, that you, have, you absolutely have to make sense of, of, of your deal and you can't force a deal to work. Yes. And, uh, yeah. I, I definitely can see where you're coming from. Uh, of course, there may be an opportunity for you to just um, wholesale the, the deal out, I guess. Do you ever do that? Or you just send I something do. out? Yeah. I do. Uh, if, if anybody's listening and want to sign up to my buyers list, go to the same website, rwcarinvestment.com, and you can go there and, and sign up for the We Buy Houses Fast, and we'll put you in the database. Um, I do wholesale. And sometimes, like because I'm such a big proponent of highest and best use, sometimes highest and best use is to not do anything at all. Yeah, like, just, just, just leave just it. <laughs> turn it over to, to somebody, like some homeowner that wants to do the work themselves, like DIY. Yeah. You know? um, sometimes don't touch it. Sometimes there's more yield. That's brilliant, man. This, uh, this has been really cool. Just in terms of directing people, do you want them to go to your website? Do you, should they follow you on Instagram? Like, what, what do you want to, where do you want to send people? Yeah, definitely sign up for the book, the highest and best use.com. That's coming out in uh, spring 2021 market. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, follow me on Facebook, Instagram. Uh, I got a business page, RW car. RW car. So is that the handle RW car? Yeah. So on Instagram, we're RW car investment co and on yeah. uh, Facebook, you can find me at our, um, Ryan car or RW car investment. Okay. And, uh, just any sort of words of wisdom here that you'd like to leave parting. I know you have a lot of slogans on your wall. Um, but something that, uh, that you think based on our conversation today, people should hear. Ooh. Um, I, th- I think just in general, you need to turn into a sponge and really soak up any information that anybody's willing to give you. Like there's so many smart people that go to these, these real estate meetups and so many good podcasts. Your podcast is awesome. 
Um, so many smart people that come on these things and give away a ton of information for free that doesn't cost you anything. Like listen to it in the car, put it on YouTube at night, pick up a book, uh, like any, anything that you can learn at no cost or very little time is definitely a mm-hmm. benefit. So do that, be a sponge, soak it up and, and you'll win. Great, great point, man. And, and yeah, with this podcast, like we're at, you'll be episode, I don't know, the early eighties. Um, <laughs> that's amazing. It's that, like 80, say five hours of content available now. That is yeah. just like, it's like the handbook of all these different people of how they, they did it. And, and it, it's not listening to one, but it's when you listen to four or five different people say the same thing yeah. in a different way where yeah. it really sticks. And, yeah. uh, so the people who have listened to every episode, I, I can tell in the way they speak. And usually by that point, they're telling me that they did a deal and, and by listening to all these episodes, it helped them get going. And, um, and I'm not exaggerating. I'm not trying to toot my horn. I'm just telling that for the people that are listening. Like, it's not me. It's the people I'm interviewing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and maybe if I'm you know, fortunate enough to, to add some value in there too, then that's, uh, that's you know, a plus. Um, but uh, yeah, so it's there. And as Ryan said, really smart guy. Um, Ryan... I'm sure people got so much value out of this. So thank you so much. And uh, I will look forward to eventually one day, maybe uh, popping out and seeing some of your projects and, uh, and hopefully uh, we can do an in-person interview too. Yeah, please do. That'd be awesome. Thanks for watching today's episode. Just a friendly reminder to please rate and review this podcast on iTunes. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure that you smash the like and subscribe and notification bell. Uh, And also leave a comment. And hey, while you're at it, why not share this episode with somebody you think it could help? It helps this podcast grow and I would really appreciate it. Thanks again. We'll see you on the next episode.